This is Chris from Tennessee, and I never listen to I Dial a Dollar More. Hello, Marcus. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Alright, welcome to the show everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 482 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. Today I am your host and I am joined by the lovely, talented, scholarly co-host of mine, Brittany Page. Yes, you are. I am also, also joined today by the lovely, talented, and informational Marcus. Hello, Marcus. Apparently, apparently Marcus isn't here. He is not. Much to the chagrin of the remainder of the audience, or at least many of them who, who reached out and were very impressed by his uh, appearance as the contest winner. There was a lot of love for Marcus, which as, was as great. W- as well as there should have been, exactly. because uh, he did do a great job. Because mm-hmm. this is, uh, I mean, Marcus could attest, Yeah, not a lot of not a lot of editing goes into this. It's not this super highly produced deal. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really thinks it's super highly produced. Well, but. well, let's not give the impression that it isn't difficult, though. And I actually appreciated, um, I don't know if it, it was on the episode or if it was after when we like did a little sign-off with Marcus, but he kind of talked about how, um, gave us some credit. For what we do, yeah, which yeah. was really nice. Um, and I yawn my life away here. <laughs> acknowledged, acknowledged that it would, it w- it is difficult. Yeah, for right? sure. Um, and um, I, I appreciated that. I just mean like <laughs> it, it is nerve wracking because there isn't a lot of editing. Is what I mean. It, it's you got to be on your fucking feet thinking about what you're going to say and what your thoughts are and getting them out there because it's not like well, let me. Let me take a lot of time to think. Let me pause for a second and really think about it. It's right. That's not the medium we we traffic in here. Right. Well, and just because there's not a lot of edits, it doesn't mean that we just sit down and we're ready to go. I mean, it's it's all day. We're reading and sending links back and forth and and trying our best to be informed. So uh, I didn't mean to think that you just come in here and it's done and all right, shipped off. Easy to do. We'd probably have episodes that were on time. If that were the case, listen. There's also an energy level that goes into this. If we have a, if you ever happen to meet me in in in, in public space and talk about politics with me, mm-hmm. you're bouncing off the yeah, wall. This thing that's happening isn't happening in a normal conversation. I don't speak in this particular timber. I think I you don't do. use the same. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm, I I don't understand what you're saying. Right then now. I guess I there's something wrong with me because. <laughs> Well, what are you saying? That you are performing on the show? That no, you, not, you're using a, perf- a fake voice? No, you're- not, well, no, no, all of that's the real deal. Right. But there is a certain level of energy you have to bring to be entertaining. Yeah. Well, and I- if I'm just talking about politics with somebody, I'm not fired up and entertaining them. We're just having a more of a low-key deal. Yeah, well, I think that's different, what you just said right there, oh. from what you were originally describing, which was almost like 
I use a different voice. I don't even sound like this in real life, guys. This is my real voice. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not true. No, of course it's not what I mean. Okay. Well, it's what you said. I think everyone else understood. I don't think so. And then Brittany Page was on the out. Here's a really useful thing when you're communicating is if you say what you like wow. mean. You know then, what? Here you go. Yeah. You ready? I'm rolling down my window. <laughs> Boop. Fuck you. You're not the first to do that this week. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. Yeah. Brittany Page this week was the uh, the subject. The recipient. The recipient <laughs> of, uh, of a little flip-off action on the on the freeway, on the interstate. Mm-hmm. And uh, not not just a normal, like, hey, fuck you, out like through the through the window. They took the time to roll down their window. Yes. To really give it the, give it the go to make out sure the window. I could see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 3D flipping off. Mm. Yeah, in your face. Yep. Well, what what exactly did happen? Well, they cut me off. And And then they flipped you off. Well, I am a honker. I oh, am a of I am a person who honks. You you should be a honker. And everyone should be more of a communicator on the road. And unfortunately, my um horn is very lackluster. Oh yeah. It's very disappointing. It's almost embarrassing to use. Uh, but I still proceed. Cartoonish. Yeah. Meep. Yeah, like something out of Roger Rabbit. Hey man. Yeah. And I still Fuck you. I still use it. <laughs> And it obviously got this man's attention and he flipped me off. Um, But yeah, you know, Californians don't use their signals very often. And I, that's just anecdotal. I would like to see actually like a (laughs) representative sample on this. I tell you, I'll I'll tell you which Californians don't use their fucking signals. Okay. Cops. Yeah. Cops definitely do not use their. They drift from fucking lane to lane down the 405. They also drive like 100 miles an hour weaving in and out of traffic. Yeah. No fucking bueno. But my my parents are, are from Southern California and my mom, when I was learning how to drive, she always told me that I didn't need to use my signal because no one needs to know where I'm going. Like there's a conspiracy of, well, listen. Like I have a right to privacy on the road. As soon as you put on your signal, everyone's going to know and then they're going to follow you. Exactly. And she never used hers either. So um, I that's kind of what I was (laughs) trained to believe. And then when I moved here, I was like, oh, that's where she must have learned it. Just like (laughs) people down here don't like to use the turn signal. They don't want people to know. So that's what happened. He didn't use his turn signal. He cut me off on the freeway. And uh, he was unhappy with me honking. That's something that happens because I'm also a honker. Mm -hmm. And if someone doesn't use their signal, Mm -hmm. I'll let them know. Hey, hey, what the fuck? And then oftentimes (laughs) what happens is this. They're 100% perplexed inside the cab of their vehicle as to why I'm honking at them. Yeah, it's either confusion or it's just straight up anger and feeling like they're being attacked rather than trying to be introspective. (laughs) Why is someone honking at me? What did I do? I think you missed one other one, which is completely disinterested. Yeah. And unconcerned. Yeah, then they don't care at all. It's almost like they didn't hear it. (laughs) Yeah, that's also happened. So can I shit on you a little bit more? Yeah, I'm having a great time right now, and I want—I don't want to miss the the magic. Yeah, I'm in a good mood. I don't so want to miss free. the magic of this performance that I'm putting on for the audience, Brittany Page. Feel free. Your handwriting, yeah, is comically bad. Yes, 
when it, to use the word chicken scratch doesn't really do the the weird the, the describe just how shitty your handwriting is. Yes. And the other day you sent out a batch of stickers. I did. And on Patreon for the Patreon supporters. That is right. Yep. The the www.teamdialboard.com everybody. Oh, there's your regular voice. There's my <laughs> traffic and weather together all the eights, everybody. Good times. Had my all here on the, the rockin' K-Rock morning zoo or whatever the fuck the thing is. Um, so we sent out stickers to Patreon supporters. And Brittany, while we were driving away mm-hmm. from the post office, because yeah. we buy postage envelope by envelope, Yep, you, you, you were like, you know what? We need to get some... Uh, some return address labels because it would be much easier for me because mm-hmm. that's part of your duties on the show. Yeah. It'd be way easier yeah. if I were to have stickers so I don't have to write out the P.O. box on every, every goddamn envelope. time. Yeah. yeah. And then, mm-hmm. remarkably, like a day later, maybe later that day, what happened? Well, actually, it was a few days later. Oh, a few days. Oh, yeah, right. I because guess it would, the time would, yeah. That because would be. what happened was Robin got the envelope with the terrible handwriting on it. <laughs> and I'm sure she could tell, wow, this is written in such a way that um, I think that Brittany doesn't like writing this. I'm going to help somebody out here. Yeah, I think she needs some assistance. <laughs> so uh, Robin in Louisville, Kentucky wrote, hello, I ordered you some address labels. I thought it would give Brittany a break from writing out the P.O. box when sending out the stickers. It will be in an orange envelope from Shutterfly. It should arrive the first week of February. No, no, I don't like that because this is honestly amazing. I read this email as soon as I woke up this morning and I was like, you know, our listeners are just the best. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's a want want for you. Yeah, well, whatever. So for Robin to get her stickers and to look at the envelope and think, (laughs) how can I make Britney's life easier? Because seriously, it's it's this is stroke like handwriting, you know, I I wasn't one of those girls that like practiced my You mean there's not a heart over the eye in Brittany? Well, the weird thing about that is What? Is there a revelation? Did you put a heart over the eye in Brittany? Well, listen, so when um Oh my god. When September eleventh happened, I was in seventh grade literature class yeah. and my teacher had us write a letter so that we would remember the day. Knowing your teacher knowing that this was going to be a day that lived on, that everyone was going to talk about what they were doing, how they were feeling on the day. Yes. Yeah. And um, later on, he gave me a copy of it, a photocopy of it. He gave all the students that wanted access to theirs the copy. And um, I signed my name all goofy with a heart. And I, when I looked at it, I was so confused by who did that because... That wasn't something you did? No, not that uh. I remember. Um, but my handwriting was terrible back then as well. It actually it, hasn't changed. It hasn't changed a lot. No, it looks very similar to my mom's handwriting, though. So maybe it's yeah. genetic. I don't know. <laughs> genetic handwriting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like sometimes girls, when they're younger, like practice, they're like, they develop a little style of writing. At least I knew several girls that that did that, and I, I was never one of those. Well, you so. learned you learned it here first, folks. That uh, not only are you know 
genetic abnormalities heritable, but so is handwriting. No, no. Brittany Page, no, you, 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 you're, you're, you're just spilling knowledge, scientific knowledge onto the audience. I'm, I'm sure they're very appreciative. That's not what I said. That but... is exactly what you said. Anyway, back to, back to, that's for you. That is uh, for you. That's for you. Back to Robin. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, that we, was awesome. We really appreciate it. We will. You haven't gotten them yet, but I'm sure future Patreon supporters who get stickers will uh, will be uh, very thankful. They won't even know how thankful they c- should be because they'll they won't see as much of the shitty handwriting. Yeah, so we are all caught up on the Patreon stickers. So if you haven't received yours and you were supposed to, go ahead and send us a message with your address and we will get some out to you. Remember that Patreon doesn't like alert me to sending them until you're charged the first time. So if you're like, hey, I haven't gotten mine, it might be because you just became a Patreon supporter and haven't been charged yet. But once that goes through, it alerts me and gives me a little list and and then I send those out. That's right. If you haven't gotten them and you were supposed to, have received them let me know so speaking of marcus hello marcus we (laughs) did receive some listener feedback we did relative to his appearance on the show hello jesse hello Brittany. this is slow mike from toronto just finished listening to episode 481 with marcus the wonder host uh gotta say i was disappointed when i wasn't selected to be the guest host but after listening to Marcus from North Carolina, which incidentally, when you said Marcus from North Carolina, no, you don't really sound like that. Um, <laughs> I kind of had a bigoted, oh God, North Carolina. But man, that dude's got his shit together and threw out some ideas and concepts that, uh, nope, hadn't thought of that and articulated them in ways that I think would surpass anything I might have been able to do. So just uh, as a heads up, uh, the next time you have a call out for guest hosts, no, I'm, I'm totally going to be a chicken shit and, and bow out because I can't follow that act. Uh, anyhow, good job. Uh, great podcast. Uh, keep up the good work. And, uh, okay, yeah, Marcus is the best part. There we go. Marcus's plan worked. Yeah. <laughs> he got that started, and I'm sure it will continue. So we, as part of follow-up for that episode, I have a letter to read here. And we got an odd letter about his appearance, and it's from the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh-oh. Oddly enough. Mm-hmm. It says, Dear Marcus from North Carolina. It doesn't say, Hello, Marcus? Oh. Well, no, I think they're angry. Oh, okay. The, the bridge. Oh, I see. The bridge, Brittany. Yeah. The Golden Gate Bridge. Okay. Uh, and really filled with expletives. Oh. It's, Fuck you, Marcus. How dare you, sir? I am the Golden Gate Bridge, uh-huh. and I span 1,280 meters. <laughs> and you said on your appearance yeah. of one of the greatest podcasts of all time. Wow, the Golden Gate Bridge loves us. I doubted with Dollamore. And hates That the Marcus. Mackinac Bridge uh-huh. is a longer bridge <laughs> than I am. Uh-huh. And the puny ridiculous and embarrassing Mackinac Bridge is only 1,158 meters in span. Wow. 
I am number 15 in the world. Can I quit with the fake letter that I'm not reading at all even? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, so Marcus. Was- I mean, I was starting to believe it was the bridge. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of bridge beef. <laughs> In the bridge community. Oh, the bridge community is a lot of competition. I mean, calling another bridge puny, that's... But that is true. Uh, he did say that the Mackinac Bridge was longer than that that bridge over there in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's number 15. And the Mackinac Bridge is actually um, number 21. Uh-huh. And uh, so here, here we go with Marcus calling in. To correct the record. To correct the record. Hi, Jesse, Brittany, and Boyd, where I once sat. This is Marcus from North Carolina calling in. Unfortunately, I need to issue a correction about something I said in the last episode. I made an offhand comment about the Mackinac Bridge being longer than what's it called bridge in San Francisco. (laughs) Uh, While this fact is supremely interesting and has nothing at all to do with Midwesterners' deep-seated fear that we're less interesting than the coastal elites, it isn't the entire story. The Mackinac Bridge is longer than that other one I can't remember the name of, by over three miles. That said, when it comes to suspension bridges, it could be argued that the distance between the towers is perhaps a more important step. Mm. Wow. The other bridge does have a longer span between the towers than the Mighty Mac by about 10%. Mm. Whatever. Our lakes (laughs) are the greatest. It says so right in the name. Anyway, I hope the audience will forgive my glaring error. The fact checkers are the best part. No. No, they are not, because that would include you, sir, who was wrong. Well. This is some bullshit. Well, this actually is really um, a useful lesson, because it is difficult to say only factual things. It was only minutes after we hung up with Marcus that he he messaged us and said, oh, shit. Yeah. I fucked up. Well, he was likely doing what I do after every show, which is think about everything that I said and fact check it. <laughs> To make sure that it was correct. Yeah. <laughs> but but don't think that I remember everything I've ever said because people often say, oh, I remember when you talked about this. And I'm like, no, because once I fact check it and make sure it was OK, I forget that I said it. That's right. Yeah. I move along. I forget seconds after it's said. Well, that's good. That's Yeah, it's easy. I, I live an easy life like, like that. Yeah. So we have another email um, and it, ha- it starts with a shout out to Marcus, but then it it talks about something else, and it is from Reggie. Hi, Jesse and Brittany, and shout out to Marcus for a great job on podcast number 481. Hello, Marcus. As we all know, trauma, <laughs> Trump drama, <laughs> I just called it trauma. <laughs> Why would you not? Trump um, drama is trauma. Brittany, yeah. we're coining new shit here. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, let me start that again. <laughs> As we all know, Trump drama drama dominates the news cycle but i think several stories from the last few months show the damage our society will have to contend with long after trump is off the political scene first is the story of byron ragland the court appointed special advocate and a visitation supervisor who was ordered out of a kirkland washington yogurt shop mr ragland was doing his job of supervising a visit between a white non-custodial parent and a child at the yogurt shop but since he hadn't bought anything the staff was nervous about his presence and the manager called 911. Mr. Ragland explained to the police what he was doing in the shop but was still told he had to leave. Mr. Ragland is an African-American. 
The next story concerns Jermaine Massey, a guest at a Portland, Oregon Doubletree hotel, who after coming back to the hotel after a concert, stopped in the lobby to make a call on his cell phone to his mother. He was then told by a white security guard that he was trespassing and escorted out of the building by police. Mr. Massey is an African-American. My next story is from St. Louis, Missouri, where three cops are charged with beating up an undercover cop during protest over the acquittal of Jason Stockley. The undercover cop, who is African-American, was at the protest to gather information on criminal acts by the protesters. I bring up these three recent stories, which disappeared from the news cycle in seconds, to contrast them with the way the mainstream media is treating the Covington Catholic high school boys. I am an African-American graduate of a Northeast Catholic prep high school, so I know what those boys are like. Some are good, some have no experience dealing with people of color, and some are bigots. The boys from Covington are the bigots. As a nation, if we can't see how toxic the treatment of African-Americans and other people of color is to the future of our nation. And then he gives links to the stories. So this is from Reggie, highlighting some of the, the stories that fly under the radar because of the Trump drama or trauma. Trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a stretch to attribute some of this behavior to the advent of Trump normalizing these behaviors in our country. We've talked about it a, lo- a long time. And uh, it is going to, to address some of the first part of your, your, your email. I think it is going to take some time to come down. To, to correct, course correct on, on some of this stuff. E- even in, in uh, the more kind of basic understood areas of normal governance, whether, whether a, a Republican or Democrat comes into office next after Trump, there's going to be some course correction there about how do we... How do we operate with Twitter as a president? Because really, the only example we've had for how many years has been a terrible example of that. And hopefully, our citizenry, during that correction, takes a a page out of the playbook of whatever responsible leader we have next. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the email. So we have another email from Frank. I usually write to you guys about social issues, but today I was thinking about what is economically wrong in America. We have corporate lobbies who incentivize the government to write laws which benefit investors to buy stock in businesses who produce the biggest margins by moving jobs overseas. Then consumers are incentivized by buying products from American companies manufactured in countries that subjugate their people to work for slave wages. What if American workers, non-suppressed, incentivized the government to create laws to encourage investors to buy stocks in businesses who hire American workers at a percentage equal to or greater than our consumption of their products? which in turn would then incentivize businesses to hire American workers to manufacture the products we buy in this country. My solution would be to change the capital gains tax law to extend the 15% benefit for investors to only include companies whose employment force was in proportion with our consumption of their products. I.e., if Americans buy 60% of Ford vehicles, Ford's workforce must include at least 60% American workers in order for their investors to qualify for the reduced capital gains tax. I think that can help solve the problem without hurting American consumers like the current structure or tariffs do. 
Sorry to have rambled on, but this was stuck in my mind and I had to get it out. Love you guys and keep up the good work. Frank. Creative. I think, um, I mean, I'd have to really look, dive in and I'm not an economics guy per se, not per se, not at all. I'm just, I'm fucking not. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, we definitely need creative takes on how to combat the future relative to um, economic inequality. Um, I've never been as frustrated before ever than I have than I, more than I am now about that. You know, having. I mean, I am a capitalist, and I, I'm I, I'm not ashamed of that. I think it is not unfettered capitalism, but some kind of a regulated capitalism is the way to go to fuel innovation and 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 um encourage people to create and and you know it, it i think it's a great system i do however unfettered it creates what we have now where a very small amount of men and women in in, in this country or the world let's say control and own the wealth of like 50% of the population of the entire planet. Yeah. Just to get a little bit more specific with that um, at the start of the world economic forum in Davos. Yeah. That's happening or just ended. Yeah. There was a discussion about this. The developmental, the development charity Oxfam uh, in their report said that um, the 26 richest billionaires own as many assets as the 3.8 billion people. Uh, who make up the poorest half of the planet's population. Right. 26 people. (laughs) More or equal to 3.8 billion people. Mm -hmm. That is an immoral system. And I'm, I'm not one of these people that thinks there shouldn't be billionaires. I don't believe that. Because just because you're a billionaire doesn't mean you're immoral and doing shitty things with your money. As evidenced by... Warren Buffett, Bill Gates. There are men and women who do good with their money. So you shouldn't prohibit a seat, you know, put a ceiling on how much money can someone can earn. However, we need to create a system where it's not so easy for your money to work for itself to where you have 26 fucking people. A, a, a size smaller than an elementary classroom controls more wealth than over half the planet that is that is not right well and i also want to want to put it in perspective with some other little nuggets from the report um jeff bezos we always talk about him um as he is known by donald trump bozo um (laughs) dollamore.com slash amazon everybody yeah (laughs) he um his fortune obviously increased to 112 billion and um just to kind of put this in perspective one percent of his fortune is equivalent to the whole health budget for Ethiopia, a country of 105 million people. 1%. It's insane. Um, The report also said the poorest 10% of Britons are paying a higher effective tax rate than the richest 10%. Yeah. 49% compared to 34%. Um, So that's often talked about in America too. Yeah. Right. Uh, And, and, 
a lot of people don't fully understand how taxes work, I think, is part of the problem. So when you start having these conversations about um, marginal tax rates being raised, like we're seeing with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and you, you see the conservative news outlets deliberately trying to confuse the issue and say, oh, she's going to take 70% of your paycheck. You know, yeah, not it's not even conservative. I think that even r- mainstream media outlets fuck it up mm. and paint it as though for sure it's Fox News, though. I mean, for sure you wouldn't expect anything more. Well, I watched Ainsley Earhart yeah. say it when she was Seven, interviewing someone. She doesn't want to take 70%. First of all, marginal tax rates don't really even kick in until your 10 millionth and $1. If you make $9,999,999, you're taxed at a normal tax rate. It's that, or 10 million you do. And then 10 million and one, it's that $1 that they tax at 70%. Anything over the $10 million they tax at 70%, which is tremendous. In nineteen in the nineteen fifties, though, the marginal tax rate at that highest bracket was ninety-two percent. And it started at three hundred thousand dollars, which equals about three million today. So calm the fuck down. You're not taking away you're not stealing from the rich. You're not taking food out of their children's mouths. Mm-hmm. Well, in another um, data point from this article, uh, between 2017 and 2018, a new billionaire was created every two days. Yeah. So I, I think people are like, oh, it's only a matter of time before it's me. Um, right, 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 right. No. It's a slippery slope, folks. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's not. Yeah. So. Because think about the good that could be done for people in America. Listen, if you want to be part of our society and you want to get rich, Off of this society, being a part of it comes with certain rules. Mm -hmm. And some of those rules are you got to kick in. Yeah, well, think of think of what we just talked about with how much money Jeff Bezos has. And then you think of that statistic of one in four Americans cannot handle a four hundred dollar emergency without borrowing money or selling something. Yeah. It's sickening. While people die and have miscarries on uh, miscarriages on his, the floor of his his distribution centers, yeah, a hundred twelve thousand million dollars he's worth, and women are having miscarriages trying to get his packages out quicker. Mm-hmm. That's not the kind of moral world I want to live in. I, I, we've gone a little long on this, Frank. Sorry, our. Everybody, but uh, I would love to know what the audience thinks about this. Look, it's you don't have to be a democratic socialist to think that our system's broken relative to income inequality. You don't have to be a Bernie bro to believe that. All you have to do is have two eyes and an honest heart to look at the situation. Um, it's not good. So I just want to say really quick, and hopefully someone hasn't already paused to call in and fact check me. <laughs> Um, it's not, Hello, Marcus. <laughs> it's not one in four, it's four in 10, four in 10 Americans yeah. cannot cover a $400 emergency without selling something or borrowing money. 40% of Americans, not 25% right. Right. nearing that. It's right. almost half. Yeah. 
Almost half of Americans, if a $400 expense came up, if your dog got diabetes and needed medication, you'd have to sell something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm just trying to put it like in a, not even like if, if you ended up with something serious. Mm-hmm. 400 bucks, that's a vet bill. I mean, that could be something very um, not human catastrophic. Why are you giving me the side eye? Well, I'm just, I'm thinking of my own upbringing and right hashtag raised by wolves everybody well vet vet bills were like a foreign concept to me i remember learning that people like paid to take their dog to a doctor and thinking that that was strange because my dogs just died when they got sick right no that's uh, what i'm saying is it's not even something as serious as like oh fuck I chipped my front tooth off and I need a new tooth. Mm-hmm. It's something not even that. If your alternator goes out or something with your car. Yeah, you have to get your car towed. You're, you're you need a tire. Fucked. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's all kinds. And, and that should really be the national emergency. That <laughs> is the national emergency. Um, but Donald Trump is instead gaslighting America about this unnecessary wall bullshit when really what he should be focused on is the fact that 40% of Americans would be in crisis if they had a $400 bill that was unexpected for the month. Tippy-top shape. We have a call on that very thing. Similar. It's in the, it's in the realm. But relative to um, Elizabeth Warren's, her proposal that's different than uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's marginal tax rate, it's her wealth tax. Hey, guys. It's Dan from Oceanside. Hey, I was curious if you've been paying attention to Elizabeth Warren's uh, media appearances lately where she's talking about the uh, the wealth tax that she would implement. Um, and I believe, if I remember correctly, it's 2% a year of wealth over $50 million of assets. Uh, and that is applicable to assets anywhere in the world. So if you have stuff in Switzerland or offshore or something, they still uh, they audit you routinely. And then anything over $50 million, which is a shit ton of money, uh, you pay 2% a year. Not income, but total net worth. Um, and seeing her put that idea forward and then hearing the like conservative talking heads talk about it, it's as if no one you know, knows the history of when we had you know, oil barons and railroad tycoons and you know, we had to break up some trusts and we had to like use people's money when, you know, the Rockefellers and the Morgans were worth how much money. And that allowed us to fund like public roadworks and public universities and like hospitals and like most of the great, uh, art, you know, the museums and the concert halls and things that give back to like culture and the society in general were all made. I mean, I, I, my business is to tour those old theaters. I'm in them all the time and it never fails. They were all built between like 1900 and 1930 and they're all built with money from breaking up the trust. So personally, I think it's a fantastic idea (laughs) to push education and a green new deal and art programs the way Canada or the UK supports their arts or Sweden or the Netherlands or Denmark. They, they recognize their great artists and then they fund them. So we're, we're creating, you know, aspirational uh, uh, things for for our culture uh, instead of just being about greed and and dumb shit that doesn't matter. Uh, For me, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, And I would hope that 
whether we end up with a President Warren or Harris or whoever else, uh, that that gains some traction when we inevitably have all three houses. We have the two houses of Congress and the executive branch that we actually do something like that, unlike the Republicans, uh, you know, doing what they've been doing the last couple of years. Anyway, was curious about your take on that. Uh, love the show. Talk to you later. So, yes, Dan um, touched on the 2% tax on Americans whose net worth exceeds $50 million. I'm not sure he said this part. She's also proposing an additional 1% levy on billionaires. Yeah. Did he say that? No, he did not. Okay. And just to get kind of a view of how many households this would um, impact. It's so, it's it's like 15,000 or something. Uh, 75,000. 75,000. Oh, because of the 50. If it was billionaires, it would be like 15,000 people. So they're not coming for your wallet. Walmart greeter, plumber, truck driver. They're not coming for you. Mm-hmm. They're targeting, and it is targeting, because that's where the wealth resides, Mm -hmm. to better our society, extreme millionaires and billionaires. So University of California, Berkeley economics professors analyzed this proposal. And um, in addition to finding that estimate that it would affect 75,000 households, they found that the plan would raise around $2.75 trillion over 10 years. Almost $3 trillion. Almost $3,000 billion over 10 years. I will note that there is some discussion. Um, experts are kind of divided over how well a wealth tax would work and whether it is permitted by the Constitution. So um, the the note here being that it limits Congress's power to levy direct taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let me say this for those of you out there who may be, well, all you're doing is stealing. For It's not, l- let me say this. It's not like if someone has 50 million bucks, they're sitting on 50 million, and then you tax them at 2%, then they have 2% less of 50 million. Um, Or let's, money works for money. You don't just sit on 50 million. You, You sit on it, and then a year or two later, it's 80 million, and then 100 million, and then 150 million, and then 300 million, and then you're a billionaire. The rise of the rich, if you look at the graphs, is insane. Their wages relative to people who are earning today, which comparatively speaking, is less than in the 70s. It is out of control. Something needs to be done to benefit the engine of our economy, which is the middle fucking class. Well, and supporters of Elizabeth Warren's proposal are saying that it will allow the government to tax these assets that are typically not taxed unless they're sold or until they're sold. And then when that happens, they're subject to a lower capital gains rate. Yeah. And so like mansions and artwork and and things like this, that it will allow the government to tax those things that wouldn't be taxed until they're, they're yeah, actually sold. I'm, I'm um. I agree that there is some constitutional sticky parts in there. If you own a painting that was handed down to you and then they tax it at its its estimated value at 2% and the next year they tax it at its estimated value at 2%, that's not an income tax. That is just, 
you're a rich fucker and we're going to try to get as much as we can. It seems a little interesting there, too, in terms of like valuing the assets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then right. figuring out what that value is. And well, because you'll have people doing like Donald Trump did, who he bought the painting of himself for twenty thousand dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then two years later, he wrote on his tax form. Oh, yeah, it's worth zero. Yeah. There, we need, a, a, I think, a plan more akin to Ocasio-Cortez's, which is, yeah, you're making investments, you're making profit off that, we're going to tax that. That's income. Mm-hmm. You're making money, we can tax that. That's income. That's established constitutionally that an income tax is something we can do. Mm-hmm. So You're going to have rich people like taping their expensive artwork under their mattress, <laughs> hiding it. <laughs> well, the 16th Amendment, we you know, it's... We have an amendment to our constitution. And yeah, they probably will do shit like that. Try to move (laughs) shit offshore. Yeah. We just have to be more diligent about it. Anyway, again, we'd love to know what you think about this. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you. By way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Ophi? Ophi. Thank you so much for your support. It might be Ophi, but I think it's Ophi. Okay. O-F-I-E, I think it is, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. We thank you so much for your beautiful support of the show. Do not forget that we are doing another Ask Me Anything AMA. We have gotten a few questions so far, not a ton. so Not nearly enough. Get them in, and that is until the 31st you have, so get going on that. Uh, re- respond to the Patreon message. You know, we just had our Patreon monthly hangout for January, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And don't forget that that's also one of the perks that you get when you sign up for Patreon. We have stickers, we have the monthly hangouts where we send you a link and you can join a video call to hang out with us and other supporters yeah, a live talking with this thing not a we're not chatting in the chat room somebody asked that today yeah it's like no no it's not a yeah it's not a chat room yeah it's not like aol back in 95 yeah you've got mail it's, yes you know it's a real deal where you're talking yes technology we're all drinking some drinks or some coffees and some good times. And we have international representation on the call. So you get, we definitely you get do. to interact with people from all over the country and uh, in different parts of the world. So it's really cool. Um, in addition to that, we are going to have some bonus content coming up here soon. We recently helped someone... A friend of the show, a previous guest, lost, launch a podcast. We're not going to get into that now, but just kind of want to excite you and, and wet mm. the whistle. <laughs> Yikes. Um, <laughs> for the upcoming bonus content, we have been busy. And some people have <laughs> written comments to us. I think they're in jest, about, but I think they need to be addressed. Yeah. Not the comments, but why we've been delayed sometimes. Yeah, and we have a lot going on. And um, it, it is <laughs> it's hard to do this. Um, we also are putting more work and effort into the YouTube channel. And that also requires doing things like when they're hot. 
you know? Yeah, yeah, right so, now. So, um, for example, on Friday, we had planned to record the show, but then the Roger Stone story dropped, and it was important that we got on that. So we are going to make it a new New Year's resolution to be better about being punctual. Well, here, let me say this. Um, we are trying to build something here with the audience. And in order to do that, we need, and this isn't part of the Patreon thing, so just ignore the Patreon thing. That's not what I'm saying here. But in order to do what we want to do, we need money. And part of that is appealing to YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. We're never going to abandon the podcast. This is our bread and butter relative to our love. We we enjoy this. We've built a relationship with you guys over the course of almost five years. And we adore this. Yeah, for sure. It's not even like, oh, it's our pet project. We just love it. This is what we, this is it for us. We really love this. Mm-hmm. But in order to grow this, we need to grow the other side of it. And part of that is paying our bills. And that's YouTube does, Brittany's very uncomfortable right now. But YouTube does that. The podcast does it too, but YouTube, we can't ignore either one. We have to grow them both at the same time. And we're going to do a lot better, we hope, if not doing that thing we did where we're like, okay, next week we'll do three because we only did one this week. We mm-hmm. really don't want to do that, but yeah, sometimes, it, it, you know. Things happen. It, yeah. So we appreciate you guys being patient, and we know we, we, we've we been saying that a lot because you've been being patient a lot. Um, but but we do appreciate it. Yeah, and we, we do try to be honest with you guys when we're late. You know, we post an update to the Facebook page. We don't always do it to the Twitter page, so sorry about that, people who aren't on Facebook. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're running this thing, and it is a delicate balancing act, and we're going to try to get better. Always trying to be better. Yeah. Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, the big news we're trying to keep you apprised of at every turn is, uh, or are, the new Democratic entrance into the presidential run of 2020. And we have a new one, Kamala Harris. I stand before you today. I stand before you today, clear-eyed about the fight ahead and what has to be done. With faith in God, with fidelity to country, and with the fighting spirit I got from my mother, I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for President of the United States. So Kamala Harris is the real deal relative to public appeal. That wasn't meant. <laughs> that wasn't meant to be a rhyme, but she is. She's well liked. She's well respected. She's qualified. She is a senator from California. Yeah. 
She is the she's our senator. She is the former attorney general of California, and she is the former San Francisco district attorney. That is right. She is fifty four years old, young, and she is she brings the history making potential to yeah. the race. Yeah, um, because her father is Jamaican, and her mother is, I believe, from India. That's right. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've actually already seen this, the conspiracy theories starting about how she wasn't born here. Yeah, but they're from Jacob Wool, that ding dong who who did the, the fake intelligence company and all that bullshit. It's not anybody credible or Jacob, even believable. Jacob Wool, who, yeah. who has um, a lot of followers, 180,000 followers on Twitter. That's prick shit, bro. The ability That's to influence shit. a lot of people. Right. It's true. With his trash. That yeah, is true, because it also get, it gets amplified on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, Kamala Harris... I don't know how we're going to do it going forward, but and I don't want to do it upon their entrance into the race. But we're gonna we're gonna maybe do a bonus episode where we or a series of bonus episodes where we talk about the individual candidates, maybe three per episode or two, however we do it, because I want to talk about the vulnerabilities that these candidates have, and she has some. Elizabeth Warren certainly has some. Mm-hmm. There are, there are, because I want to, I want our audience and us to walk into this next election clear eyed about what we face, about what our candidates are really about. I don't want to be the blind sheep like, like MAG Americans that no matter what the fuck Donald Trump does, he's right. He's great. He's no, we need to know what their foibles are. What their vulnerabilities are. And we want to talk about this. So we're going to figure out how to do it. We'd love to take your suggestions on that. Well, yeah, for sure. And keep in mind that I someone was telling me that the first debates are going to start like in June or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah, we're here. Well, we're here. And uh, we, well, we, we're, we're where we were in 2015. Yeah. If you have been with us throughout the years, then you will know that we cover all of the debates as all well. Of them, yeah. So we are going to be doing that as well. God and here, I, it, here it starts. <laughs> it is. It's pretty crazy. It's yeah. really crazy. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm, I mean, June. Come yeah. on. It's almost February already. <laughs> Come on, Democrats. What is going on? So anyway, she's in the race and that, uh, that is a good thing. I, listen, um, I tweeted out Ryan Bell and I were in a conversation online a few weeks ago, a week or so ago. And I, I said, she's a no for me because of this. And I rethought it. I didn't delete it because that's not how I operate, but I rethought I, she shouldn't be a no because of this particular thing that bothers me, but I want a good answer on it. And then I'm going to leave you hanging, not knowing what it is, but we're going to get to it. So just stick with us. Mm-hmm. Tell a friend. Subscribe to the show on I, or, uh, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, here's the pitch. Hey, guys, there's this guy. His name's Jesse Dollimore, <laughs> and he has some feelings about Kamala Harris. He isn't revealing them yet, but he's going to. So you got to listen. Wow. All right. Subscribe to the show. You know what just happened, everybody? You just witnessed audibly <laughs> Brittany stretching open my mouth, squatting <laughs> over my face, and taking a big fat dump right into my mouth. <laughs> That's what you witnessed. So this happened the other day. That's a great segue right there. <laughs> Taking a dump in someone's mouth and then going to Sarah Sanders saying something stupid. Oh, geez. Sean Hannity. <laughs> 
had Sarah Huckabee Sanders on his show talking about oh, good. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mm-hmm. Is this when he talked about how he wants to take her to dinner? <laughs> no, I don't know. I didn't watch the episode. But okay. just before, I mean, this is just before the shutdown was ended. So the, the shutdown's still in full effect. So they're not talking about the good stuff. They're talking about the fact that uh, AOC, we'll call her, AOC said that, you know, the world's going to end in like 12 years if we don't get our shit together and unfuck this environment, Mm -hmm. this climate catastrophe that we're in the midst of. And just listen to this answer. Goddamn. All right, joining us now to discuss all of tonight's breaking news, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders. Sarah, good to see you. Um, Is the president have any reaction to Ocasio-Cortez, the congresswoman's prediction millennials think like we're like the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change um any official white house position (laughs) uh look i don't think we're going to listen to her on uh much of anything particularly not on matters that are we're going to leave into the hands of a much much higher authority um and certainly not listen uh to the freshman congresswoman on when the world may end uh we're focused on what's happening in the world right now we wish that democrats like herself would engage in that conversation help us fix some of the current problems we know exist um and work with us to get some things done particularly on the border fixing the national and humanitarian crisis that's the kind of stuff we're focused on things that we're going to leave up to the hands of something uh, and someone much more powerful than any of us. All right, let's go to the issue of the, the shutdown, where we so are. So I'm sure that this generalizes to other issues. Oh, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> were Sean Hannity to ask about abortion, for example, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders would just say, oh, well, that's, you know, we're going to have to leave that up to a higher authority. If God wants to stop abortions, then God will stop abortions. Listen, the wall and the border crisis Mm-hmm. The national emergency that might be declared, mm-hmm. we're just going to leave it up to a much, much higher authority of God uh, uh-huh. to take care of this. Yeah. Because AOC. She's not a Christian. <laughs> that really is the clip from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, She's yeah. She's not a Christian. <laughs> um, so, yes, I Sarah Huckabee Sanders prefers to get her doomsday predictions from charlatan evangelical pastors who make money terrifying elderly people yes. and telling them to please empty their wallets in order to protect themselves and to get like five years worth of oatmeal or whatever they sell in buckets. Jim Baker you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So uh, good times. That's that's who should we, we should be believing right. about the end times. Yeah, because that's when she talks about the world ending in 12 years, she's not referring to some natural catastrophe that could happen. She's talking about the rapture. Mm -hmm. She's talking about (laughs) the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yes. She's talking about some God Mm -hmm. talk. You know, and when when they take it here... Right. It, It kind of ruins all of their arguments because, you know, why are you worried about this crisis? Yeah, no shit. Isn't God in control? That's right. Why don't you trust God? Yeah. Right. God is guiding Moeller. God is, <laughs> he's in charge, right? Well, especially now mm-hmm. that God's anointed leader for the United States of America, Donald Trump, has taken over. Mm-hmm. Finally, the Satanist Obama yes. has been cast aside like the devil. Yep. We've got, we've got a Holy Trump. Mm-hmm. Ugh, come on now. Donald Trump! Come on now. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's just a little a little flavor mm-hmm. coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big news: one, obviously, the the government has been reopened. Yes, for three um, weeks. For three weeks, mm-hmm. n- not a long stretch. But the biggest news: this is what bothers me a little bit. Maybe it's just my particular interest is the Russia investigation. But when at four a.m. you were awake in the morning, Friday morning. L- all getting all into that Roger Stone news. I accidentally left my phone on ring, which is not something that I do. Thankfully, you did. And it was just ding, ding, ding with all of these notifications. Roger Stone is being arrested. Right. It's on video. CNN was there. So that morning was consumed by the fact that Roger Stone had been arrested on seven counts. False statements. Five Counts of making false statements to federal authorities. The 1001 charge. One count of obstruction of justice. One count of witness tampering. That consumed the morning. About 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, Donald Trump, maybe on its face because he really wanted to stop the shutdown. Maybe. But maybe also because he wanted to distract attention away from the Roger Stone thing. Well, and let's let's say what the point, right? Let's just let's just get to the main point of what this indictment suggests. It suggests that Roger Stone was directed by senior Trump campaign officials to coordinate with WikiLeaks. Next to Roger Stone fighting back tonight, the president's longtime friend and associate on the offense this weekend after yesterday's special counsel indictment. Seen giving a thumbs up to photographers outside his home there in South Florida, slamming that indictment and going after the special counsel moments ago, Robert Mueller. More now from ABC's Lana Zak. Tonight, Roger Stone out on bail and fighting back. I guess it's an effort to intimidate me, but I am not intimidated. <laughs> the allegation that two campaign officials instructed me uh, or, uh, or inquired, inquired of me about WikiLeaks is false. Stone, a longtime political advisor and friend of President Trump, who bragged about a history of dirty tricks, was indicted on five counts of false statements, one count of obstruction, and one count of witness tampering. WikiLeaks! I love WikiLeaks! Investigators allege Stone was an intermediary between the Trump campaign and WikiLeaks, which published Democratic emails that had been stolen by Russia. Stone denies being involved. I never received any of the WikiLeaks disclosures. I never discussed this with Donald Trump. The court documents also allege that Stone attempted to intimidate another witness, threatening him with a reference from the Godfather. And investigators allege that Stone went so far as to call that witness a rat, threatening the witness's dog, even writing in an email, I am so ready, let's get it on, prepare to die, expletive. Stone is no stranger to a special counsel investigation. I was the youngest person to go to the Watergate grand jury. My parents called me on the phone. They were mortified. I thought it was pretty cool. And this time around, Stone relishing the limelight that surrounded him outside of court yesterday, saying this when asked directly if he'll cooperate with the special counsel. Would you in any way cooperate with the special counsel's office? Since I was not contacted prior uh, to the charges today, my lawyers have not talked to the special prosecutors. I don't want to address that question, but I have made it clear I will not testify against the president. All right, we will have to wait and see if he ever cooperates. Lana joins us now from Washington. Lana, Roger Stone also on social media tonight attacking, among others, the special counsel? 
That's right. He seems to be poking fun at the entire investigation, Tom. On Instagram, he is selling T-shirts. He's saying that the special counsel investigation has nothing on him, even posting a photoshopped image of the head of that investigation, Robert Mueller. Tom? So it's important to remember that the documents, they don't draw a clear connection between the Trump campaign and Russia because Roger Stone um, left his official role with the campaign in August 2015. And then he was an informal advisor in the summer and fall of 2016. And that's when he was supposed to be in touch with WikiLeaks. That's right. And of course, WikiLeaks, right? Everyone knows, I'm sure. But just to refresh some memories um, is the organization that released the hacked emails, the thousands of of emails from Democratic officials uh, that were allegedly hacked by Russian agents. That's right. And so according to this indictment, uh, Trump campaign officials wanted to know more about the WikiLeaks releases and the stolen information that might hurt Hillary Clinton. And it even references an unnamed senior campaign figure that was directed to reach out to Roger Stone to ask about when the information would be coming out. Yeah, yeah. Right, when they were going to be releasing the information and also what types of information they had about Hillary Clinton and how damaging it would be. In the indictments, they refer to several, they refer to senior campaign officials, plural. So it's not just one. It's just not, it's not just a Manafort. It's a Manafort and a, uh, and a, and a, and a Don Jr., it's a Manafort and or a Kushner. It's a it's there's multiple, mm-hmm. which also could be a Manafort and a Donald Trump. Yes. Now, there's a reason for Donald Trump to be nervous here because the previous indictments were yes they were people that were close to trump they were people that were in the campaign but they're like you know financial issues financial things that they were up to making false statements these kinds of things right well roger stone is being charged as someone who is connected to the trump campaign uh committing misconduct related to the Russian election interference. Yes. So that is a reason for him to be very nervous. And here's the other thing relative to his statement that none of this had to do with Russia. This is all ancillary charges, you know, false statements, obstruction, witness tampering. It is a clear strategy being used by the Mueller investigation to indict on other things just because they indict. They don't have to do all their indictments and charging in one document. So they get this. To not tip off exactly where their investigation is going, to try to get him to flip and cooperate with the investigation. Therefore, either cutting him a deal to not charge those other issues related to conspiracy against the United States so they can get the bigger fish. So we're already here. I've said many times that Roger Stone, that that, that, the Donald Trump campaign... They had a, a system in place where they would shift from person to person to person. He left early on in the campaign, and everybody was shocked. I was even shocked. Holy shit, already they're getting rid of this guy? And then he never really went away. He was always on the periphery. He was always still in communication. He was always still in good regard with Donald Trump. That doesn't seem to jive with the way things work. If you're doing such a shitty job that you get fucking fired... You get cut to the curb. You don't get to hang around and still be an ancillary figure. I have said multiple times on this show, I believe that was calculated. 
that then he had plausible deniability. I'm not a part of the campaign. I don't know. I didn't get, well, I just did my thing because I support this candidate. They did this on purpose. They did it with Corey Lewandowski. They did it all down the line. And they're doing it again. Well, and there's still some questions that remain. Like, um, does this direct communication with WikiLeaks go higher than Roger Stone? That's right. In terms of the Trump campaign officials, were there other people that were communicating with WikiLeaks? Direct communication? We don't know, but you know who does, Brittany Page? Robert Mueller. I was going to say God, but... (laughs) Um, also, I just want to say really quick before we get to the next clip that um, for people who say, oh, what's the point of this investigation? It's going on forever. Nothing has been found, blah, blah, blah. Well, 37 people and entities have been charged. Yes. Uh, most are Russians who have been charged with interfering in the 2016 election. But the list of people that have been charged includes six Trump associates, Michael Flynn, Rick Gates, Paul Manafort, George Papadopoulos, Michael Cohen, and now Roger Stone. There's been 199 charges total. Come on, man. Okay. Come on. So for anyone, President Trump, (laughs) who is wondering what the point of this all is, Yeah. That's the point. So let's listen to a legal expert talk about exactly what this indictment could mean for Donald Trump. This Roger Stone set of charges, only six charges, only seven charges. Again, five false statements. Why would you lie to a federal agent if not for having something to hide? But what do these Roger Stone indictments mean for Donald Trump? For analysis of what is and is not in the latest indictment and what may be next, we turn now to Ryan Goodman, a professor of law at New York University Law School. He is also the founding co-editor-in-chief of the website Just Security, which focuses on U.S. national security law and policy. Thanks for joining us. So what was the significant part? What did you learn out of these indictments? So I think the most significant part that we didn't know before is just how intricated the relationship was between the campaign and Roger Stone. So he had formally left the campaign months earlier, but it it seems apparent that the special counsel knows that he was in regular communication with senior Trump campaign officials and then on a specific mission to uh, get information about, if not actually get, uh, the stolen email documents that WikiLeaks had. Uh, So that changes the complexion of our understanding uh, in some respects of the Russia investigation, because if Roger Stone is acting essentially as an agent of the Trump campaign, it can implicate the campaign itself legally. Look, the, the White House's line in response to this is uh, no collusion. Where's the proof that we knew what the Russians were doing and we were working in concert with them? In this particular instance, the facts that are alleged by the special counsel in terms of what the truth is versus what Roger Stone testified about to Congress. So what the truth is, there are data points there that you could look at to see whether there was coordination. Roger Stone was told by his intermediary that WikiLeaks has information about Hillary Clinton's health and then is told by that intermediary to refocus the campaign's messaging around Clinton's health, which they then do over the next month. Even to the point that at the end of the month, Chris Matthews on MSNBC is saying things like, what's happening? There's a major pivot in the campaign. Why is this going on? And now we now know that at the beginning of August, they were told uh, by the intermediary who had apparently met with Assange, this is going to be a document dump in the future. So that kind of coordination with WikiLeaks 
you can see the evidence of it in the indictment. What does Roger Stone do? I mean, he said, I was never in communication. I think he's in a world of trouble, um, so much so that I think he might have to very seriously think about pleading and cooperating. You know, just one example of it is that apparently on the very day that he tells Congress that he has no text messages or emails with person two, he has 30 text messages that day, according to the indictment, with person number two. It's pretty clear, and that's devastating. So I don't really understand what his game is at this point, except for this other, you know, wild card of a potential pardon or something like that. Well, what does this teach you about how Mueller's investigation is progressing, maybe the legal framework that he's operating within or stretching toward to include? So I think it does suggest that um, Mueller might have a much bigger revelations in store. What several former course, federal prosecutors have said is he could have actually charged conspiracy um, to coordinate campaign messaging with WikiLeaks. Roger Stone actually doesn't just say he wants to get information from WikiLeaks, but he actually wants to get the documents. That's with person number one. He says, get the stolen emails. With person number two, he sends a very specific document request. He wants WikiLeaks to give him a document section on Hillary Clinton when she was serving as Secretary of State and her policy over Libya. That could be charged as a federal election campaign law violation soliciting something of value from a foreign national. If you're trying to read the tea leaves, there's a very good likelihood that's the direction that this very well might go. And he's just accumulating some of these people because now they've just done the search warrant on Roger Stone's home, have much more information. Roger Stone, if he flips and cooperates, can say who his conversations were with on the campaign, can mm -hmm. say more about uh, the connection with WikiLeaks. There might be a lot more there over the coming months. And one thing to highlight there is that Roger Stone's story about his contacts with Russia, has, yeah. it has just changed so many times. Right. And it often changes when things get revealed. So you you might remember that um, from the indictment in 2016, that Stone, Roger Stone was denying that he was the unnamed person identified as being in contact with uh, Guccifer 2.0. Yeah. He was saying, I don't think it's me i wasn't in regular contact with members of the trump campaign it wasn't me and then like hours later according to the washington post he admitted it was probably him yeah and it turned out that he like posted communications to his own website <laughs> they're just liars yeah so the story, he's also on twitter and infowars all the time wanting his publicity yes um and then you also have him like predicting yes when more importantly this when wikileaks is going to be revealing information about uh podesta specifically yeah and how what he he's not psychic <laughs> are you sure <laughs> are you sure i'm i'm pretty sure so the thing that really strikes me is is what this guy was saying is it's very clear here that they're trying to there was a coordination between the information that was yet to come out about Hillary Clinton's health. It wasn't even a topic yet. And then all of a sudden they shifted because they had foreknowledge of the fact that there, were gonna, there was going to be a massive document dump about Hillary's health. They're coordinating strategies with the Russian. If this isn't a conspiracy against the United States government to interfere in an election... Not just by the Russians, but in a coordinated effort with members adjacent to and inside of the campaign, then what the fuck is it? It seems pretty clear. Well, that morning, Sarah Huckabee Sanders 
uh, was on with with uh, John Berman. Is it John Berman? Yes. John Berman from CNN. Mm-hmm. She was on scheduled to talk about the shutdown, but this had just happened, so there was really no way to avoid it or cancel without looking guilty. And she was asked about this, and she gave the most ridiculous gaslighting answer in the history of ridiculous gaslighting answers. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. Full disclosure, we invited you on the show, and you were eager to come on to talk about the shutdown this morning. And then I think we were all surprised by this activity in Fort Lauderdale this morning. Roger Stone, the president's longtime political advisor, placed under arrest. What's your reaction? Uh, look, my first reaction is uh, real simple. This has nothing to do with the president and certainly nothing to do with the White House. Um, this is something that has to do solely with that individual and um, not something that affects us here in this building. Nothing to do with the president. O- on this show a couple months ago, Corey Lewandowski, who was one-time campaign manager to then-candidate Donald Trump, used to tell me it would make him crazy when then-candidate Trump would talk to Roger Stone on the phone, and it would happen a lot. So there is a connection between Roger Stone and the now president of the United States. You would concede that. Uh, look, Roger Stone's somebody who's been a consultant for uh, dozens of Republican uh, presidents and candidates and members of Congress. But uh, conversations between those individuals have nothing to do with the fact of what these charges are about. And that's about whether or not he made false statements. We'll let the courts make that decision. I think a bigger question is if these stand, if this is the standard, uh, will this same standard apply to people like Hillary Clinton, mm. James Comey, uh, Clapper? Will we see these same people who we know have also made false statements? Uh, will that same standard apply? And that's a question uh, that we'll have to see what happens on that front. Let me Seriously. Yeah, but what about Hillary Clinton, everybody? Seriously. Come on, guys. I know this is bad for Trump, but what about Hillary Clinton? That's ridiculous. For her to say that this has nothing to do with the President of the United States, when all of this is about communication with the campaign, the Trump campaign, the Donald Trump campaign for President of the United States, This has nothing to do with the president. Come on. This all centers around WikiLeaks. I mean, listen, maybe it would be better for the case if we had some evidence that Donald Trump knew what WikiLeaks was and that he was fond of WikiLeaks. If only we had that. It's been amazing what's coming out on WikiLeaks. I mean, this WikiLeaks is fascinating. WikiLeaks, I love WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks, 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 right? They want to distract us from WikiLeaks. And you know, as I was getting off the plane, they were just announcing new WikiLeaks, and I wanted to stay there, but I didn't want to keep you waiting. WikiLeaks. 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 I love reading those WikiLeaks. Boy, that WikiLeaks has done a job on her, hasn't it? We've learned so much from WikiLeaks. These WikiLeaks, 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 the wonder of WikiLeaks. As confirmed just today by WikiLeaks, the WikiLeaks revelations. Oh, we love WikiLeaks. Boy, they have really WikiLeaks. A massive portion of this campaign was predicated upon information being leaked by WikiLeaks. And where did the WikiLeaks information come from, you might ask? I'm asking questions everybody knows the answer to already. Russia. And do you think Donald Trump knew that? 
or maybe not. If only we had some evidence of Donald Trump talking about or directing Russia to get the emails that were then leaked to, to WikiLeaks. That a person in our government, Katie, would delete or get rid of 33,000 emails. That gives me a big problem. After she gets a subpoena, she gets subpoenaed and she gets rid of 33,000 emails. That gives me a problem. Now, if Russia or China or any other country has those emails, I mean, to be honest with you, I'd love to see him. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. I think the important thing is, and this is um, more aspirational for me because yeah. uh, I am not good at this, but um, I think it's important that we do not get fatigued. And we continue to engage with what is happening. And we continue to feel the anger. Yeah. Uh, the seething rage. Yes. And uh, your heart filled with blood curdling fury yes. about this. And I'm saying it's aspirational because I often feel fatigued by the news. Yeah. And uh, especially when it's just so blatant. You know, with Sarah Huckabee Sanders talking about Hillary Clinton when Roger Stone is being arrested and trying to act like Roger Stone was uh, not a pivotal part of helping Donald Trump's campaign get off the ground. Um, it, it's it's really remarkable to have these people just lying, just flat out lying and, and not even caring. But we have to remember what they did because it will not always be them in power. And one day she will not be the White House press secretary. And she will try to write a book or whatever she might try yeah. to do. Well, speaking of Walmart greeters. And uh, we will not be buying that. Yeah. Well, listen, let me leave you with this. We're going to end the episode here. And maybe this will, I can reflect back on this. I'll write down episode 482 that I made this prediction. For tooting of the horn? Yeah. All right. For future tooting of the horn. I believe that Donald Trump is fucked. Mm. Fucked. Okay. Whether or not he is indicted or impeached, I don't know, but there's no chance of a 2020. And if he does get ousted this election, there will be criminal charges. He might not be able to be indicted as a president. That, 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 uh, that memo, that policy within the Justice Department might stand. It might prevail but if it is not changed we still we're gonna have a new president mm -hmm. and likely one with a good idea about how to run the country likely one with an eye for the things we opened the episode talking about and i'm not talking about the Mackinac bridge <laughs> mm -hmm. things are looking up we do live in a fast food culture, and I, just like anybody else, am looking for immediate results. It's a big ship we're, we're floating on right now, and it takes a long time to turn the ship. And that's it's good that that's the case. Otherwise, it would be chaos. We need slow change for our own well-being. Now, this is happening slower than I would like, but maybe that's a good thing. Because mm -hmm. we're all languishing 
will all remember the time that we spent languishing in what is a shitty situation and maybe effort to never let it happen again. With those wise and inspirational words. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I do want to say one more thing uh, right. before we go, that we added a new Patreon perk for the 20 and above a month tier. Yes. And that is the newsletter. And we are putting the finishing touches on the newsletter. And that is going to go out at the end of every month. So look for that in the coming days at the end of the month. And we're really excited about that. When it does go out, we will want your feedback about things that you would want to see in there. Yes. Uh, we want to make sure that it is useful to you, that you want to look at it. So tell us what you want to see in there um, and give us a break on the first one. Cause I'm trying to figure everything out in terms of the template and it's formatting complicated, man. It is quite complicated. I'm glad it's your deal. Cause I would be fucked okay, in there. Don't give me full credit for it. It's, <laughs> This is a mutual. I'm glad you're taking 51% of the the mantle. All right. Of it. That's fair. All right. Blame me. We love you guys. We're going to leave you there. We appreciate you. Every single last one of you who listens to the show loyally once a week or twice a week or as often as you do. We would love. Listen, if you enjoy the show, if you get something positive from the show, we invite you to join the Patreon family. Help us grow this show. Help us move the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode episode basis. Go to www.teamdollamore.com. That'll redirect you to Patreon where you can choose you know, two, three, five, 20 bucks a month, whatever your thing is, whatever you're comfortably able to give. We invite you to help us out. That would be a wonderful thing for independent reporting here on I Doubt It with Dollar Moore. We love you. We appreciate you. And we want to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. And then I'm not an economics guy. Per se, not per se, not at all. I'm just fucking not. <laughs> <laughs>